0: as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Antonio Sacra is such a joy to be in dialogue with. I I bet you're gonna leave with a smile. He's an award-winning performer, storyteller, and author in residence at the UCLA Lab School. For for 25 years in 13 countries and 45 states, for over 3 million people, Antonio has been telling stories. And his tales of growing up bilingually in a Cuban and Irish American household have inspired kids all over the world to gather their own family stories and become storytellers themselves. Schools like Para Los Ninos in LA consistently bring him back because students' reading and writing really improves after he appears. He is really going to help us understand the power of story how to tell our own stories, and how to listen for the stories of others, and what the impact is when we tell stories. I think for all of us that are listening at Sidewalk Talk, you're going to feel a huge boost of motivation to get out there and listen more deeply to the stories of the people that you're hearing, and perhaps with a fresh lens. So I'm really excited for us to learn from what Antonio is bringing. So Antonio Sacra. So Antonio Sacra, I am, I am, I can already tell by this jubilant energy that you bring, and even your tagline, Antonio Sacra, the most successful storyteller you've never heard of, <laughs> to have you come speak to this Sidewalk Talk global family, because storytelling and human connection seem to be so linked. Tell us a bit about storytelling and how it relates to us being human together. And yeah, where did this oh. all start?
1: Oh, it's fun. I mean, in some ways, it's just the core of what we do, right? Before there was any written language, before there was any any way of capturing these things, it was just all oral. So there, there's a, a lot of studies recently show that we're just hardwired in the brain for story. And so growing up, I, I didn't understand that there was all the bigger... Folktale world and the you know mountain men and women passing down stories from 10 generations I just have my family stories my mom talking about her brothers and sisters my uncles and aunts and my dad He's an immigrant from Cuba, so we weren't allowed to travel to Cuba So all that I learned about Cuba was from my dad and so this was just kind of just you know Just part of what you know what I consider just what you do as as a kid you're listening to these stories I didn't understand until I got into my 20s that it, there's also a profession um, to it and it's a, it's a way I make a living you know, learning stories telling stories sharing stories finding places to tell stories which is why when I when I heard about what you're doing I was just amazed that that exists in, in this level and and in and the scope that it is around around the world so uh, it's it's always nice to find somebody of you know of, of my tribe that is doing the thing and, and already sort of understands understands what it is um, Many times I'm on an airplane or I'm in a place, and people are like storytelling. Well, what is that? You you do what? <laughs> you've, got good,
0: you've got a good you've got a good airplane one liner, I must say. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 just part of it. Now I'm also a father, my my son is ten, and my daughter is seven, and I also see the power of storytelling very personally in just mm. raising them. When whenever they I, just recently we have we all had our flu shots, and you know my my I have to tell the story every year whenever we get flu shots of the time that I was getting a shot when I was 4 years old and they needed four nurses to hold down each one of my limbs cuz I didn't want the shot and they laugh about seeing my fear <clears throat> and seeing how I survived it you know mm-hmm. so this is kind of part of it in, you know personally what I in my own family yeah
0: well and so I want to you're, you're a parent and you're telling stories with your kids. You work with a lot of kids, too. I mean, you're affiliated with UCLA Lab School. Can you, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your relationship to children and what you're doing at the UCLA Lab School? And
1: yeah. Yes. So when I, when I first started telling stories, I did it for free as a passion. I would go to the library and study folktales. I would uh, interview my family members to figure out my own stories. And then the librarian, I was living in Chicago at the time, she said, oh, you should just, you know, set up shop once a month and just tell stories to whoever wants to come. And so it's funny, in some ways, my path is, is you know, just kind of that. I just kind of just, you know, put a, hung up a little cardboard sign and I just told stories. Whoever would come in and I would point them to books. Well, teachers would come in and say, oh, you have to come into my classroom and do this. And I did. And again, just sort of following the muse a little bit. It was really great to go into classrooms. Now I, I'm not an, edu- I didn't study education. I'm not a teacher. Um, it was about three years of sort of pursuing this muse and learning stories and, and writing personal stories that uh, somebody said, Oh, you know, we also pay for this. So I didn't realize that was happening. And then, you know, so I said, Oh, well great. This is better than waiting tables. So I, I started, you know, getting paid to tell stories and, um, and it led me to just basically accepting invitations to whomever would have me. And sometimes it was, a lot of times it was libraries and schools. Sometimes it was museums and zoos. Uh, I told stories at the Chicago Aquarium. And then that led me to the whole sort of national, uh, and actually international. I perform in Austria. There's a wonderful storytelling festival in Austria. And when they called me, I said, well, I don't, I don't speak German. They're like, we don't care. We love stories in all languages. Come and, come and do it. Um, and so, you know, along the way of the, the 30 years I've, that I've been doing it, um, I moved to Los Angeles for lots of different reasons. And um, when I was here, the, the, the UCLA lab school is, is this beautiful little school on the campus of UCLA. And it's an experimental school, meaning they try whatever is the latest techniques in, in education. And then there's a whole bank of clipboard, you know, teachers in the back taking notes and, you know, examining things. Well, they found out about 30 years ago um, that storytelling helps their children learn to read and write better. And when they have a storyteller in the classroom, the kids read and write better. And when they don't, the scores go down. So um, they had a storyteller for many years and that storyteller recommended me to sort of replace her once she retired. And so basically I, once a week, I go into that school throughout the whole school year and I tell stories to the kids. And sometimes it's personal stories, sometimes it's folk tales, sometimes it's myth, sometimes they're poems. And I, the school is uh, pre-K, so four years old, all the way through sixth grade, which is about you know, 11 or 12 years old here. And I, they, ju- they just see the power. It, it's, and it's, it's not me with the PowerPoint. It's not me teaching any lessons. It's not me showing any photos or video. It's just a guy sitting on a little stool or sitting on the carpet with the kids sharing stories. Some of them I'm, I'm thinking of on the way to school. Some of them I've been working on for years. And so, uh, you know, the, the lab school is sort of a, a it's just an, an outshooter and a continuation of the work that I do. I, other times I go to, to massive, you know, the International Storytelling Festival in, in America is, you know, 20,000 people come through it on the weekend and there's 30 storytellers from around the world. And those are exciting and amazing spots to perform. And being on a carpet with, you know, 25 four-year-olds who just, I've just got to school and don't quite know how to sit still yet and don't know, you know, it's, <laughs> these are, these are just wonderful. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, it's hard to, to get a big, you know, my joke on my website about being the most successful storyteller you never heard of. It's hard to get a big head in storytelling because you'll go from one of these huge festivals with, you know, 4,000 people in the audience, you know, to a, a, a library where five people have come out because it's raining, you know, cats and dogs outside and, you know, they're, and it's always the right people are there. You know, if it's five yeah. people, it's great. And if it's a big crowd, it's great. So, yeah, I, I was impressed that, you know, I've, I've learned from the teachers at the lab school the research behind it. You know, before I was just yeah. like, oh, it seems that when I tell stories in this way, the kids listen. Mm-hmm. And even really difficult kids, kids that have special needs, kids that might be in, in juvenile detention centers, uh, adults in jail. I've told stories in all these places that you might think would be difficult to hear the stories. And it's not, uh, it, it's, it's the opposite. Um, oh, junior high school kid. That's the, that's the bane of our existence. Nobody wants to walk into a bunch of seventh, eighth and ninth grade, you know, kids you know, too cool for school with their arms folded and just staring at you and trying to get at their phones. And you just start with the, you know, once upon a time or a story about my grandmother or a story from uh, Anderson or the grim fairy tales. And then all of a sudden these, these tough kids are leaning forward and smiling and laughing and connecting they're connecting in a way that they don't get i think that you know as much as oh, i love we love screens they're so important you and i are connecting through this amazing technology that didn't exist 10 years ago and um but but it that is also disconnecting and i mm-hmm. think that when they see in a when they see somebody really saying look all i got is this story this this thing that you have to listen to and you have to use your imagination to make it work Mm-hmm. And it's amazing the numbers of people that will use their imagination to make the story work. And then that, that spell is created. And the last thing I'll say is that simultaneously what happens in storytelling, and this goes to the, a little bit of the science behind it, why it, it works out your brain in so, such an amazing way, they're, list, they're thinking of their own stories. So when I'm telling the story of my very specific Cuban grandmother who lived in Sweetwater in Miami, Florida with a bunch of Cubans, many people don't have that experience, but almost everybody is thinking of their own specific grandmothers in their own specific places. So they're listening to my story, they're thinking of their own story, and this community is created in a way that existed a lot pre-technology and doesn't Mm -hmm. exist as much um, post-technology.
0: It's so interesting because when you just said that, when you just said my Cuban grandmother, right, I immediately started thinking in pictures now I know not everyone thinks in pictures, but suddenly you and I were sharing data and mm. then all of a sudden something really different happened inside of me as soon as uh-huh. you said that I got all these pictures and then I think I almost smelled food in your grandmother's kitchen
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just, amazing that's
0: just really fascinating right
1: well, so that's so interesting because this i I don't know if the magic is behind that or not but for sure, the, the that thought of my grandmother is intricately linked to her kitchen and, and also the sounds she cooked with a pressure cooker. And so, walking into my grandmother's house was the sound of that pressure cooker and that ch- 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 little sort of bits of steam coming out of the top of the pot, and then the smells of that cooking in her own what specific. You're you're always gonna, black beans. She had black beans going all, all the time. Uh, and then she would have all different kinds of, of food, you know, ropa vieja and picadillo and just uh, typical uh, Cuban food. You know, sometimes whatever she had in the fridge or sometimes it was something specific that we requested. Um, so, yeah, I grew up with that, that Cuban food and those, those smells and sounds.
0: Well, so since we're talking about grandma, I mean, tell me about your family and how you think this influenced you mm-hmm having such a passion for telling stories. I mean, what is your journey and how has that unfolded?
1: It's interesting, my, my, my dad says, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to talk to my dad five or six times a week. You know, we, we just have these short little cute conversations. And, and he, he always, once a week or you know once, once or twice a month, he'll say, it's amazing you make a living as a storyteller because you're only the 10th best storyteller in our family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so your dad's a good storyteller, is what I think. You know,
1: what at first sounds like an insult is is just great truth. I mean, I think about well, you know what? He's right. Uncle Tito's amazing, and Tia Maria, and then my my cousin Barbara Ned, and then my grandmother. So like, if I if I go down the list, it's like, yeah, it's true. I would rather listen to those people tell stories than me. Now, this, but the but the the part of the journey was. You know, in my 20s, when I was just discovering storytelling, and I was spending a lot of time with my grandmother in 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 Miami, I was going to say in Cuba, because it's almost, it is a little Havana, a little Cuba. And, um, you know, she was starting, she was just old. She wasn't sick, but she was old. And part of me understood that she wasn't going to be around forever. And so I was listening there with journals, and I, I didn't have, I mean, we had, of course, things to record with, but I didn't record her. And part of me wishes I did, and part of me is glad that I didn't. So when she, when she did finally die, I would just want to tell stories to the people about my grandmother to keep her memory alive. And, you know, of those 10 best storytellers in my family, five of them are now gone. And so, you know, I very personally, I just want to keep their memories alive for my own self. And the more I talk about them, the more I remember and I, I you know, it's, it. you keep digging deeper and deeper and. You know, when I go to the schools over and over again and they want another story about my grandmother and I go back into those journals. And so very personally, it was just a way of keeping those memories alive, uh, reminding myself of how amazing it was. And, you know, then, you know, coming full circle, then people began to want to hear more of those stories in different ways. So, you know, uh, a recording um, producer who does children's music asked me if I would want to record those uh, stories as an album. Mm-hmm. Which we did, and then a publisher heard me at a festival and said, "Can we record? You know, can we make that the, one of those stories into a book?" And that led to my children's book writing career. So you know, this selfish keeping my family memories alive and the courage to share them in public led to a career where people have paid me to continue to do this work. And so mm-hmm. it's this this circle that's amazing. And then later on, when I had kids, now it's amazing to share the stories with with them and to try to create memories with them with their family members. We live in Los Angeles. Most of my family is out east in Boston or Chicago. And so, you know, my wife and I make a, a pretty, you know, concerted effort to take the time and money and energy to get and get to those places and create those memories. Because mm-hmm. part of it is the sight and smell and, and the, the sense of being there that can't happen on we, we love video, you know, we love um, you know, Skyping with grandma, but being in her kitchen is different for my kids than it is Skyping with her, right? So um, so yeah, it's, it's become this great big circle that for me has been fulfilling and it's pays the bills and it gets my, my work out in a way that didn't before. And, um, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's, I think that's part of it. The last part of it too, is that, you know, as a kid, I was made fun of for my own culture. So my, I grew up speaking Spanish. My name is Antonio Bernardo Sacre kids. And, you know, I grew up in a small suburban, in Delaware. They'd never met somebody from Cuba or kids who spoke Spanish and I was made fun of and I didn't want to speak Spanish. I didn't want to be different. And it was my family, my Cuban family specifically, that said, Look, we're here. And you know, grandma, my, my abuela mimi, she said, I'm too old to learn English. You have to speak Spanish with me. And who cares if some kids make fun of you? You're never, you know, you don't you don't have to worry about them. You have to worry about us here. And so coming back to the culture and the language and the pride in the in that and the the the, the the things that were the same and the things things that were different. When I began to model that to other kids, again, back to the the specific becomes a universal. You know, I meet met kids in, in Chicago that were mostly from Mexico. At the time I didn't know anything about Mexico, but there's a lot of similarities. And when I share when I share with them how I reclaimed the language, and I didn't want to let some kids who made fun of me make me not want to speak that language, it started resonating with kids. And that is, I think that was the big turning point in my career when I was able to sort of quit my job as a waiter and just go into that, you know, really helping kids understand their cultural backgrounds their languages, their specific, their specific stories are valid. Here's a guy up there just talking about his Cuban grandmother. Wait, I can talk about my grandmother from Oaxaca or my grandmother from the Philippines or my grandmother from, you know, from wherever.
0: Yeah. I loved that story on your YouTube channel of the little girl that, was so quiet in the front and put two and two together and went, wait a minute, I identify with you. Mm -hmm. I I speak, I speak two languages in my house and I, maybe there's a path here for me. I want to be a storyteller too. And it almost, it's, there's something beautiful about you in particular, Antonio, as a storyteller, because you bring this selfhood into being in a way for kids that maybe feel like they have to put a part of themselves away
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which is so sweet
1: yeah you're right it's 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 funny like i i never well the idea that as a as a kid putting that part of you away there's a great sadness there and you know and i whatever i i I thought that that when i would see that those kids saying i don't i didn't want to speak spanish either whatever language they spoke Part of me felt that 30 years later that problem would be solved, and it's not. And in some ways, gets gets worse, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it, in a way, it's sad that I still have to model that story, and kids are still resonating in the same way. Um, and it's also really great that I'm out there and saying, yeah, no, this is this is a thing that you know you can do. One of the things I tell kids recently is, you know, I never knew that you could write books as a kid. I, you know, when I went to the library, those those people weren't real people to me; they were just amazing. Authors and illustrators that were able to get their stories into the world. And so, I, I, you know, in some ways, I'm speaking to myself. I wish I could have heard from an author when I was in third grade that this, the scribblings in my journal could become real books out in the world. And, you know, for kids to say, wait, I can be an author too? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is yes. You know, I love sharing with kids, you know, that storytelling is a folk art, it's not a fine art. A
0: mm-hmm. fine art
1: being your study opera for. Two dozen years and you be you get to sing at the Met or you learn how to dance on point or sculpt marble We all storytell all the time and you know writing is just a little bit of an outshoot of that So this is something that all of us can do Um, And sometimes you just need to be reminded. Oh wait, I can do that. Yeah, okay Yeah.
0: Yeah You know, I know this is gonna sound like a really basic question, but I think we forget to really ask what does it, what, what is a story? What is different about a story? Mm-hmm. And what makes something a story?
1: So it's interesting. Just
0: telling something.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a really good question actually. And, and in some ways it's the foundation of all of it, you know, so specifically when I'm, when I'm thinking of stories, both for adults and for kids and for books, and I'm, I'm writing television shows out here in Los Angeles. Um, Really, it's <clears throat> for me. There's a great magic in the specificity. So the specificity of of character and place. So there's a l- little bit of a shorthand that you get when you're telling stories live to somebody, and you you and I experienced that a little bit when you were you were getting the smells of a grandmother's kitchen, whether it was your own specific grandmother smells or you know whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- if you can nail the place and the character you're halfway there, but you're not at a story this the, the engine that I think of or the image that I use, you know the key that starts the story is is conflict and it's you know and basically simply when I, when I talk to young kids about it but' also just for myself, the main character wants something that they can't have, and mm-hmm. so how does he or she get that thing so you know my own story, I want to not be made fun of for speaking Spanish. okay, so what do I do? I stop speaking Spanish, so what happens? I see my grandmother's. Um, uh, she wants me to speak Spanish. So she wants me to speak Spanish. She can't have it because I'm not speaking Spanish. So how does this, how does this go all back and forth? So the beginning of a story is, do you have characters? Yes. Do you have a place that is evocative and very well drawn out? Yes. Do you have s- something the character wants that they, they can't get? Yes. Now, where you get to stories that get passed down, how does the character get transformed? You know, when you see um somebody who has survived a traumatic event a soldier returning from war or you know wh- whatever it is they've survived here they are I mm-hmm. want to know how you survived. Mm-hmm. what did you do because you know god forbid I have to end up in a war I have to end up doing something else but if I do I want to learn from you about how you survived so my uh, what do you call it a five-year-old six-year-olds they're like My dad has a truck and it is red and we went to this thing and we blah, 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 blah. blah, And they just have a whole list of sort of things, which is interesting. And five-year-olds need to learn how to put vocabulary together and sentences together. But the real story is, when was there a transformation? I was scared to go to the beach because the waves were so big. But my mom helped me learn how to swim and now we're riding the waves. Mm. Oh, wow, that girl learned to swim. Maybe I can learn to swim. Mm. Um, You know, so the... That transformation I think is what's really, really powerful. I'm thinking about the um, Hans Christian Andersen stories. I've just been Mm -hmm. going through them this year, just randomly. And there's a lot of stories in there about death and loss and um, siblings that die and parents that die and spouses that die and children that die. And, you know, if I think about my own circle of friends, that would be the worst thing I could imagine (laughs) that would happen to any of them. And I hope that nobody ever has to experience that or has experienced it. And yet here are all these stories from the, you know these, these old stories that, that were gathered or written or collected about people who survived it. Oh, OK, wow, that's the worst thing you can imagine. And here's this fictional fairy tale couple that survived it in this way. Uh, mm-hmm. The hands on Gretel story from "The Brothers Grimm. Here's the worst thing that can happen. Your parents throw you into the woods to get eaten by a witch, right? How do they survive it? Oh, the brother and sister work together. They trick the witch, they survive it, they get back home. So I think that's what makes the story, in some ways, you know, even the kind of conversation you and I are having right now, these deeper conversations that maybe happen on sidewalk talks as well, giving the space for them to happen. Okay, who were you? Where were you? And what transformation happened? Now, the, the last thing about that too is that if you're in the middle of the wounding or the transformation, you know, like. I uh, I just got divorced and I don't I nobody's gonna want to go out with me anymore and I, I don't know what I'm gonna do and where am I gonna live? That's not a story because you're in the middle of a great big wounding, mm-hmm. you know. And and then, it, then it's therapy. Then please go to therapy and, and get the help you need to find out what to the lesson. Complete
0: the story. To complete um, the story. You know, and,
1: and so I, I have seen many storytellers, myself included, in the early stages of my stories. Where we're just stuck in that place like you know my one of the stories i worked on for years was my parents divorced they got divorced and you know uh, one of the stories i told myself was oh i should never get married because divorce is gonna happen mm-hmm. you know and that's that's not a story that was useful to me as a man who wanted to to have children at some point um you know and it's a different story now at the other side of it transforming mm-hmm. transformation of it oh my parents you know, my dad met somebody else. My mom was better because, of, oh, okay, great. There's transformation that happens out of this wounding or this, this sadness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, I feel like, you know, getting at that is, it's delicate because I work with a lot of people who are in a lot of pain and some of them just really just need therapy. They need, to, they need to hear about, they need to think about what their woundings are and how they can survive the woundings. But if they're on the other side of the wounding, then it's like, oh, great. How do we tell the story in such a way that people can hear it? Um, one of the tools that? I use is just humor, you know, finding humor in, in, in sad, you know, that I think that's a tool I learned from my, my Cuban immigrant family, you know, like yeah. here we are in America, we have nothing, but we're going to do something about it. You know, we're all living in one house. Okay. What's that going to be like? And you know, there was always laughter that helped these difficult stories go down. Um, wow. So that I, the short answer is I don't really know. I mean, that's, I don't that's,
0: give me a break. You do, do
1: too. Stories. I think about you know, places. <laughs> and then the transformation that might be there from that wounding or that conflict.
0: I'm just having this sweet feeling come over me because even in the way that you describe transformation, it links back to a thing that you said. Can you hear me?
1: Uh, sorry, just now I can. Yeah, Okay.
0: Um, there's something sweet that just came over me because it links back to something you said earlier and links me to my own work as a therapist that feels a little sweeter and a little more humane. Because what, what's really happening in therapy is that, number one, you're just finishing your story. You're completing the narrative in a way in your journey. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that there's something sweet that I feel when I, everyone goes, oh, do you judge or do you mm-hmm. look down on clients? I said, heck no. Because that piece where you said earlier, the specific becomes universal because I get to be... A witness to somebody's transformational story as it's being written, and it's so cool, and I think that's what happens for us on the sidewalk, but I wouldn't have known this language until I got to talk with you, and so it's really fun to kind of hear you put it together and If I could just reflect this other thing that you said that kind of it's kind of been brewing in me as I've been listening to you, but there's something sweet about how you said you and your wife and your kids, you know you still make the time to go see grandma and and fly out there. And there was something about it, and I'm like, oh, right, because Antonio is, like, prioritizing, really savoring his life, because his life is sort of lived through the lens of story in this sort of full-bodied, three-dimensional, memory-making, meaning-making, aliveness kind of way. And so what just occurred to me as I was listening to you is, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, like, can even be a lens on living a storied kind of life. That's what came up in me as I was listening to you
1: wow i it's so interesting and that really that was touching for me to hear that because part of me feels like well now as you know as an adult when you, when you're when you're, you 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 really you realize how hard it was for the you know i I, I kind of wish that I could go back in time and and give my parents an easier time because
0: you Uh, you and me both.
1: (laughs) Exactly. um, It's, you know, it's sort of like, Oh, wow. Wow. That's what my mom was doing when she was, you know, uh, cause I have two brothers. We are all pretty similar in age. So, Oh, that's what she was doing to, to make that happen. And, So my, you know, in some ways, it's it's the model. My mom, you know, made it made it a priority to take us to the the big Boston Irish Catholic family in Boston, and my dad made it a priority to make sure we got to Miami. And so now I'm trying to, you know, pay that forward in a way. Um, And it's weird because my kids are such homebodies in some ways; they don't want to leave the house. They love Mm. just hanging around on holidays. And then once we get there, like, oh, these are my cousins and these are my uncles and aunties, and here's this and that. you know, I, I, part of me, again, back to back to the selfish. I kind of want my kids to have things they can write about and talk about when they get older, whether they're going to be authors or not. Um, and you know, so it's like, okay, well, let's 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 do. Let's go ahead and create this memory. We have this. We have a fight every year. We love to go. Well, my wife and I love camping, and my son loves camping. My daughter hates camping. <laughs> Once we get her camping, she loves it. You know, so it's sort of like okay, she doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to go. We're going to force this on her. And oh, now she loves it. Right. And there's other things that we, we just listened to her and like, oh, that's not something we're going to do again. But, but you know, um, and, and of course, you know, in her little writing, she's in second grade, she's written about the camping trip multiple times in class now. um, mm-hmm. Even though she was really reticent to, to go, but you're right. Helping, helping back to taking the time to, to create those memories, it's, it's really hard in our society. And maybe it's always been hard, but I, I don't know. It feels like there are so many other things that feel like you need to do or wanna do, or we're aware of things now that we were never aware of before because of this magic of the internet and being able to connect around the world. Yet, what happens when you know, we, we shut, shut it all down and we're with each other? Um, I just told the story yesterday in school about when I was, I was younger, complaining to my mom about how bored I was. And this is all pre-DVD, you know DVD, VCR, whatever. She says, well, here's a can. Go out and kick it. And I was like, <laughs> what? She's like, it's called Kick the Can. I'm like, how do you play? You just go outside and you kick the can. And I, I went outside and <laughs> the can. And the sound of it was interesting and how it felt on my foot. And then my kids came out. And all of a sudden, there's 12 of us running around playing Kick the Can it became the game of the summer. Right. And my mom sharing that memory led to this other memory led to like, Oh wow. My, when my daughter said she was bored, I told that story yesterday and I shared it in the class, you know, so, um, there's, there's, uh, it can be fun too. This stuff can be fun. Yeah. There's something
0: also really sweet where I'm imagining your mom or you telling your daughter, like storytelling is a way to be in connection and to evoke some kind of shift. Without using dominance. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's this playful co-creation of sort of, I'm sorry, that's a really geeky way to say it, Antonio, but that's where I'm a little geeky sometimes. It's this (laughs) this playful co-creation of something, of creating something new without there having to be power and dominance and like finger wagging and you need to, you know, it's, I don't know, there's something... It's very motivating, isn't it, to hear a story and then suddenly daydream about what's possible for your life versus being told what you should do and follow the steps and the bullet points and check it off and blah 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 blah.
1: Well, let me ask you this: Is is co creation a, a therapy term, or is because I love it? I, I I've not heard that with the storytelling world. Oh, it,
0: who knows? I'm such a mashup of every person I've ever uh-huh. talked to.
1: So that's exactly it. It's not it's not a lesson. You should wash your hands because you should take care of it and brush your teeth and floss, versus like. Oh, you know, when I was younger, I didn't floss my teeth for this whole year. And I went to the dentist, you know, and then all of a sudden she's listening and she's imagining because she she's been to the dentist and she knows what it is. Right. So you're right. It is this this co-creation. The the other thing I'd say, though, is also the power of listening. There's a there's an old I don't don't even know if it's true or not, but there somebody brings a, a TV set to people who've never seen TV and they watch it for a couple of minutes, but then they turn back to the storyteller in the, in the village. And like, well, why are you not watching the TV? There's a thousand stories on TV. Like, well, the TV is interesting, but the TV can't see us. And the storyteller can see us. And the storyteller is also listening to us. And I think back, you know, back to parenting and, and also in, in, in therapy, I imagine not being a therapist. It's that, it's that listening that allows the person to feel powerful. Right? And they're a creator of their own story. My daughter isn't being told to floss the teeth. She's listening to what happens when an adult doesn't floss his teeth. And now she can choose a path that she wants to choose. I'm not telling her what to do. I'm just telling her what, here's what happens, you know. So uh, it's just a small example, but you're right. I love that idea, that co-creation. And that's, the, that's back to the brain work. That's the, the, there, are, there are MRIs that are measuring this. There are parts of the brain that only light up when you're listening to stories um, from people you love. This is an, inter- an interesting thing. Um, and it, it, it exercises your brain in a way that it, there's no, it doesn't get exercised in any other way. Mm. You know, and as a dad, I want my kids' brains to be exercised by math and science and language and art and you know, reading and of course, storytelling.
0: Mm. So I can see the benefit of all of us playing with this more. Are you, I mean, I'm hoping that you're facilitating this more for us to be able to take some, some courses from you or tell us a little bit about what, about what you have planned to maybe help us stretch into that more, Antonio.
1: Oh, you're, you're sweet to, to, to ask that. That's nice. I, um, you know, I, I do offer a, a live stream once a month for teachers, specifically on how the power of storytelling helps teach writing. It comes out of my work from the UCLA Lab School. And it really is, it's a storytelling where they get to hear me tell stories, but then I sort of step out of it and talk about why that story is effective and how that is effective. And then I give them specific strategies to introduce storytelling into the classroom. Now, many teachers already use storytelling as part of their, their techniques. I'm just kind of helping them get the language and some specific techniques to do it. And that's something I offer once a month um, to, to teachers around, around, the, around the country here in the United States. Um, and then I always have books and audio. Uh, this is a funny story. So I, I used to have cassettes and then I had CDs and now all of them my, <laughs> my, my publisher my producer said, hey, I got three hundred CDs left over. Do you want them? I'm like, nah, I don't want them. <laughs> can't even can't even take them. So now they're all on iTunes. All my albums are on iTunes. But anyway, neighbor had one of my CDs and she just, she came by and she said. Uh, oh, no, somebody broke into my car and stole all my CDs. Like, oh, that's so sad. She said, oh, except for yours. They didn't steal yours. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, why didn't the thief want my CD? And then she looked at my crestfallen face, and she said, oh, no, 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 because it was in the CD player. We listened to it all the time. So, oh, that's so, so it was, cute. It was really cute. So, you know, there's a, a number of kids who, you know, have my – it's funny, I, I love it, and I would love for – kids to hear all my stories on their devices and iTunes and on long car trips. And I would like them to shut off my stories and have the parents tell their stories on the long car trips. Yeah. So my, my dream is that, you know, people listen to my stories on iTunes and they sort of get the, oh yeah, one of my stories is about being on a car trip, you know, and they're like, and then hopefully yeah. they shut it off and then they talk about dad talks about his car trip or mom talks about her car trip or, you know, and the kids talk about whatever. You know, in some ways, I, when I talk to parents, they can't compete against these devices. And I'm like, you know what? Just shut them off and see what happens. Yeah. And, yeah. Shut and, them off and, and
0: tell stories.
1: Shut them off and tell stories. Yeah. That, I guess that would be, that would be the, 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 the message I would want your listeners, you know, um, just shut them off and tell stories. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
0: It's reminding me. I almost you're you're compelling me to want to be really sweet because my kids had a good storytelling teacher for K, kindergarten and first grade. Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to Miss Linda at mm. Fairlawn View Elementary School for two years. She did not teach by reading out of books. Mm. She taught by having children, even before they could read and write, write books. And I have about 40 books from oh each God. of my sons for their first yeah. two years of school, where all she did is have them write down stories. And she'd have an adult help them write the letters before they knew how to write letters.
1: Right. Oh, my gosh.
0: And I'm, you're just helping me understand what she was doing. <laughs> and it was beautiful because my kids loved going to school when they were young. They just loved mm-hmm. it because of the storytelling thing that you're describing. So it's so beautiful.
1: It's but, so true. Yeah.
0: So um, I just didn't give a shout out to your cool book, a mango in hand, and you said, "Oh, but my next book isn't coming out for a while." But I love the name so much that I have to say it. My name is cool as a picture book. It's going to come out next year, and I just love it because I would like my name to be cool. So I had to say it. Um, This is a chance for you to speak now, Antonio, directly to all seven thousand of our volunteers who are spread across ninety-two locations in fifty countries. If there was either a wish for them or a piece of wisdom for them as they head out onto the sidewalks, maybe even within a day of hearing our conversation? What would be your wish to them or a piece of wisdom directly to them?
1: Oh, it's so interesting. Um, there's, there's a story that I'm thinking of, an old African story where there's a, a woman who suffers a great sadness and she goes to the medicine man to, to get a potion to help her. And he says, well, go and find a pot from one of your neighbors that was never used for a sad meal. And she knocks on her neighbor's door and, oh, no, we don't have any pots here because, you know, we had this sadness happen. And she goes all around the village and she can't find anybody who hasn't had some great sadness. And then she goes back to the medicine man and realizes that we all have this sadness. And in some ways, that journey through the village Helped her realize that she wasn 't alone with her sadness, and I feel like what your volunteers are doing and, and this thing that you 've created from whatever force of love that you had to make it happen is creating is recreating that thing where you have somebody just listening and in some ways i i I want to thank them for doing what they're doing and, and realizing that you know in the moment it doesn't feel powerful, and maybe it 's not and also, it may be just changing lives in a way that you can't even imagine. Um, and so I guess I would be uh, gratitude. I, I would just just give them a gratitude from, from afar for, for what they're doing and gratitude to you for what you've set up to allow that to happen. And to remind all of us that it, it, can, it doesn't have to happen on a sidewalk in a great little chair with these awesome volunteers. It can happen anywhere. And... Um, to, to find those places as busy as we are, to, to let that happen. Bring the sidewalk into your own homes. Mm-hmm. What happens when you listen to your own children and your own siblings and your own elders and yourself? I mean, this is a thing that I've, I've, I've learned a lot. You know, the, the self-care is also important. How do you take care of yourself so that you can then become that person who can listen? So mm-hmm. um, that would be it, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. I have so enjoyed our connection. Thank you so much. It's, it's such a privilege to get to be here with you. And I will be shouting you out and putting a bunch of information about you and our show notes so that people can find your website and your books. And yeah, just so great. So Antonio Sacra. Sacra.
1: Yes. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. I'm I'm so honored to be able to talk to you and, and really, really um, just thrilled with the work that you're doing and glad that glad that you exist
0: thank you all right to be continued i'm sure somewhere on a sidewalk we're gonna meet i know it (laughs) be well (laughs) be well you too Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from, and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.